Welcome to the Storytellers Lab podcast, where everyday women share real and personal stories of encounters with God. I am your host, Robin, and I'm here with Lindy and Katie. And today we have Rachel's story from Atlanta. And this one is really neat because I've known about Rachel for several years. I have heard her story, and she actually runs a ministry very similar Mm -hmm. to Storytellers called Be Still. And for years, people kept saying, you'll need to meet, you need to meet, and we never did. And so during this quarantine, God really put it on my heart to reach out Mm -hmm. to her, and she immediately said, yes, I would be so willing to share my story. Mm -hmm. And so Katie's going to tell us a little about it. Well, her story is amazing. Um, We called it Your Pain is Your Superpower because you're not going to believe the walk that she has been on. Um, But what's so wonderful is that walk, that painful walk Mm -hmm. that she went on, really led her to know the Holy Spirit more. She was able to let go of secrets and shame in her past. And I think her story is going to bring you so much hope and encouragement. Yes. And she is funny. Yes. And she (laughs) She is is funny. So anyways, we hope you enjoy Rachel's story. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind everyone about our partnership with Never Thirst. Never Thirst is a ministry that brings clean and living water to unreached people groups in Africa and Asia. That's right, Lindy. You know, before we partnered with Never Thirst, I did not realize that nearly 800 million people do not have access to clean water. And over 2,300 children die every day because of lack of water or poor sanitation. And one of the things that I really like is their unique model that they partner with the local church in those communities. And so before a well is ever built, they have 100% buy-in and funding for that community so that the people are engaged and the people are responsible for their well. And oftentimes the burden of water falls on the women. So they're Mm -hmm. empowering women. So go check them out at neverthirstwater.org or follow them on Instagram at neverthirstwater. Join us in partnering with Never Thirst today. Hi, I'm so excited to be with y'all today. This is like a dream come true anytime I get to share my testimony. Um, I just love it and my story actually because I think a story goes um, so much further than anything else in um, the Christian world. I think stories are the thing that you can't argue with because it's my story. (laughs) So that's my favorite part about a story, but I just recently learned that every time that you share your story, you're actually testifying against the enemy. And I just think there is nothing more beautiful to me than putting him in his place and us being able to testify to the goodness of God. So that's hopefully what I get to do today, which I'm so excited. But my story kind of begins, um, really, you know, I was raised in Alabama. I was um, the child of two teachers and a military, um, a dad who actually came to Birmingham every one weekend every month and was in the National Guard. And so my parents were amazing and precious people. I was born, I say I was born into the nursery. My mom was literally carrying me in her womb, working in the three-year-old class. And so I've never not known um, a day of my growing up where my life wasn't centered around the church. And so I have such a passion for the local church and for the good, the bad, and the ugly, because I mean, I grew up going to the snack supper, and if you are <laughs> anything like me, you know what a snack supper, you are, you are at church a lot if you got the snack supper, and so um, that was my world, I mean, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but I think the reality is, is I knew a lot about God, but I did not really experience who he was until 
actually really later in my life. And so I, you know, went through high school. I met Jesus when I was 10. I felt lightning go through my body. I mean, it was, there was, I'm not the girl who like went down 20 times to like get resaved because I felt, I mean, I felt this power go through me and I didn't even know at 10 years old what that meant, but I knew everything was different on the other side of that day. And I also, but I also, again, it was, it was an experience with God, but I didn't, you know, there's no manual. This is how you be a a good Christian, you know, but, but that was, you know, the Bible for me, that is that, but I really didn't, I wouldn't say I had people around me who were wanting me to experience freedom in my life. And so I go to high school and like most kids, you know, a lot of kids, you're just like, I want to see what's out there, you know? And so I did what, you know, the cool kids were doing and I can't say I'm proud of that. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, when I got to college, I had, I realized, wow, that is not the life for me. I do not want to be someone on Saturday night that I'm not on Sunday morning. And so I met um, this super stud who was a very consistent Christian is what I would say. And Todd Faust had this um, really amazing car. And honestly, that's what I was attracted to first. He had a a 92 Toyota Celica. And to say in 1994 that that was the coolest car ever because it had a spoiler. And if you're in your 40s and you're like me, you're like, oh, spoilers. Yeah. I mean, there was truly nothing more cool than a spoiler. And so basically he was cute and he had a great car and I fell in love with him on the day that I actually saw him in that car, which I know shallow (laughs) Sally over here, but that's just the reality of my life. And um, we fell in love. We dated all through college. We married the weekend after I graduated. So, I mean, to say I, I was basically like Mary, the mother of Jesus, getting married at 21. I mean, no one gets married at 21 anymore. That was like... I mean, even back then it was kind of rare and, but I was so madly in love with him. I could not imagine one day of my life not being spent with Todd Faust and his Toyota Caselica basically. And so (laughs) we moved to Tuscaloosa. I went to graduate school and then we moved back to Florence to both take drug rep jobs for a pharmaceutical company. And life was just, I mean, honestly, it was it was as perfect as it could have been. We were talking about having children and um, it was 2001 and September 11th happened. And um, five days later, Todd went to play a game of pickup basketball. And while he was on the court, we had just come home from church. He went to play this game with his son, our Sunday school friends. I went to a wedding shower and I got a call when I walked back in the door that Todd had been hurt. And I, he hurt himself all the time playing basketball. So I never thought anything about it. I thought, oh, he's rolled an ankle, which he did all the time. And my friend said to me, she said, you need to come quick. I think he broke his leg. Well, you know, I walk up thinking, you know, your expectation is, oh, a broken leg, we'll get a cast, we'll be home in, you know, six hours. And I walk up and one of our doctors was doing CPR on Todd. And so in, in that moment, I was like, not a broken leg, but I still never dreamed, like, I never dreamed what was going to happen next. And that was basically, I got to the ER and they said, Mrs. Faust, we did everything we could. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. What, you know, I, I'm here. I am. Tw- I'm 23 years old. We've been married almost four years. Todd had run five miles the day before. He's 27 and the picture of health, no health problems, not one, not in his entire life. I mean, he had his appendix out when he was like 10. And so, you know, here I am and my world 
nothing bad. I'd lost a cat. I mean, yeah, at this point, nothing bad had happened to me ever. And my life seemed so perfect. And that illusion of control um, that I had crumbled. I mean, that was uh, over in that moment. And we came back to my house. And the, the most beautiful part of the story about Todd and really this season of my life was Three hours after Todd passed away, there was one of my sorority sisters from college was in my kitchen. She looked at Todd's sport coat that was hanging on the back of the bar stool in my kitchen. And she looked at that sport coat and that said to her, I don't have community because that's what he had worn at church that morning. And, you know, here is Todd passing away from what we believe was probably a massive aneurysm three year, three hours before. Melanie's in my house three hours after this. Looking at that and going, there would be no one here for me if, you know, my husband passed away because they didn't have any community. They didn't, ha- they weren't in church at the moment. And, um, and then she looked around and she was like, I have no idea what my future beyond this earth looks like. And I think that is what death does for so many people. Hello, that is what Corona has done for so many people. It is it has awoken a sleeping giant in the church. And I think for me, thinking about that story and just how death for Melanie led to actually living and how death to Todd, he never died because he met Jesus that afternoon. And then yet Melanie looked at that sport code and she looked at me and she said, I don't know how you're doing this. And I heard, I didn't hear anything. I just heard, I knew Matthew 10, 20, and it says what, you know, when you can't speak for yourself, the Holy Spirit will speak for you. And I didn't pull out my little, you know, Romans road track and talk to Melanie about the cross and the, you know, the gap between, I don't know what I said. It was three hours after my husband met Jesus. I mean, But all I knew is Melanie stood up that day and her life, I mean, to say she was a new creation, and that's the goal for all of us, you know, when you meet God is to be a new creation. But I think because of Todd's death and because he was so young, it just spiraled Melanie into a life that she never would have had. And so I think every time I think about Todd, I'm so grateful for his life, but I'm also so grateful because I know what has come behind his his legacy. And that's really Melanie, her family, her children. I mean, the ministry that she has now. I mean, it, it, it you know, I can say it as well with my soul because of Melanie. And I went on to you know, date after Todd passed away, I ended up dating a guy. Well, I dated a lot of guys, let's be honest. I mean, I was 20, I was 24 years old. So, I mean, you know, I mean, I was young and single and I, I felt like I had this new life. I was like, what do I do now? But after Todd passed away, before I started dating, I really had some significant encounters with God listening to worship music. And I was always a fan of worship music. But, you know, when you, when you, um, when you're raised with a lot of knowledge about God and then you like encounter his presence through what for me was Fernando Ortega's Give Me Jesus. And so I would sit in my floor and play a CD player, which I don't even know if they sell those anymore. And I would play the song. There was a CD in the back of Angram Lott's book called Give Me Jesus. And in the back of that book, there was a CD where she Fernando would sing, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. When I am alone, give me Jesus. And after that chorus, she would go into this tirade about who God was. And to say that that, the spoken word and the worship, it just, the declaration of who God was in my darkest moments, it just, 
I didn't even know I needed my soul to be filled, but it, I needed my soul to be filled. And I was lonely and my dog, bless its little heart, it would hear me sing and just howl at the moon. And it, it <laughs> Shizu's hate to hear you sing. And I was just, I didn't know what else to do. I was alone by myself with this dog. And I can, I can remember one story. I was, um, it was my birthday right after Todd passed away and my sweet friends planned this surprise party for me. And they made a, they made like a 3D, like, you know, beautiful cake of my dog. And it was precious, but I could look at, I looked at that cake and thought, that's my life. I mean, like, that's my birthday cake is a dog. I mean, you know, I just, I don't know something about that birthday cake, even still to this day, I just think about that. And I'm like, that is so, it was so hard for me because it was so beautiful to be celebrated. And yet I looked at that cake and I was like, well, that's what I have now in this life. And which was just the enemy coming into something beautiful. But, you know, here I am, I, I do start dating again and have this, you know, just some really funny experiences. One being a guy who brought me a teddy bear at 25 years old, granted, a teddy bear that played the Alabama fight song. Now, I am an Alabama fan, but let's just say mama did not need a teddy bear. So the next guy that came, he was, we were done for that night. And um, the next guy that came, he brought me a Bethmore devotional. And at this point in my life, I'll just give you a little taste. I had driven, like some people follow the Grateful Dead. Well, I followed Bethmore. I mean, she was... She was my Jesus, to be honest. I mean, that I think that's a lot of people's story from the, you know, early 2000s. If Beth Moore heard it, it was as good as God said it to me. And I really didn't know how to hear God. I knew how to hear God through Beth Moore, but I was like, oh, I, I didn't, I, I really thought that only, fam only famous people heard God. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I really think that is so common among people. They think, well, I'm not, I'm not Jesus-y enough to hear God for myself, or if I do, I'm going to doubt it. And so I'm very, very passionate about people hearing God. So we can talk more about that later. But so here I am traveling around like the Grateful Dead, following Beth Moore to Louisiana. I mean, I would go six to seven hours to see her. And so he brings me a Beth Moore devotional. And pretty much that night, I could have married him, if I'm being honest. <laughs> and I remember him touching my leg. And to say, I mean, I know that sounds like a little weird, but we were at a Christmas party with my high school friends. I've never shared this before. This is so funny. So we're at this high school party with my, you know, my high school friends. We'd had a Christmas party because I'm, you know, 25 at this point. And I can remember like be, I was sitting on the floor and he was sitting in the chair and I remember him like reaching down or touching. And I was like, I mean, because as a widow, you don't get touched and, you know, and for single people, like that is a longing for people and especially physical touches high on your gift, you know, things that you need. And I just remember thinking, Oh, my word. I'm going to marry him. And this was like night two. I mean, I knew. And he was a family friend. Blair was his parents and Todd's parents were best friends. So we go way back. Like they have pictures of Todd and Blair buried in the sand at Jekyll Island and camping together. And so, I mean, I, to say I was like, this is perfect. Like God, 
loves me. You know, I just was like, he has set me up. He has set me up for this amazing life. And he had, he truly had. And um, we got engaged three months later. I mean, I know that sounds crazy. And my mom was like, whoa, hold on. But, you know, you know that you know. And we got engaged and we married in July of 2003 and just had a, so it was about two years after Todd passed away. And we had a beautiful life. I moved to New Orleans, you know, Sin City. Again, my family who hadn't left Alabama, they were like, what? (laughs) My daughter, they didn't want to let me go, you know, and I was a drug rep. So here I am selling drugs, Blair's a fighter pilot, dropping bombs every day. So bombs and drugs. And we were just living this dual income, no kids life. We had a list of 100 restaurants, truly. We would mark them off. Food was just, you know, Pretty much food and travel was, that was our pastime. We didn't play tennis. Nobody, <laughs> nobody played anything. I mean, why would you play anything when you can eat? You know, it's just so much more fun. And um, and we were living this beautiful life. And then we got pregnant with my son. Um, Blair came home from war. He had gone to Afghanistan for the world terror. Came home, got pregnant, and got um, the lovely call that Hurricane Katrina was coming. And so we ended up living through that moving to Columbus, Mississippi, where we had our second child and Blair. Um, we were we were in a good place, but in November of 2007, God um, really, I don't, I always call it, it's the, the moment that God called my name. I was driving in my car and, and I don't know how many of you listening or, you know, hearing this, God really speaks to me when the power of habit takes over in my life. The shower, the car, um, and there's a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, and this is this is why, because your brain doesn't have to think about what you're doing. If I videoed you in the shower, which I would not do, but if I did, you would wash the same hand, you would squeeze the shampoo the same way. I mean, it's very bizarre how we wash our face the same way. You drive, you don't, you don't think, oh, I should put it in drive now. You just put it in drive, and so... Because of that, your brain that your spirit communicates to is so active. And so in that moment, I'm driving, and I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to marry me. And I was like, what? I mean, because you have to know, I'm not in an environment where people are saying, I heard from God. I feel like the Lord's saying this to you. I was not in, I wasn't in a church environment that talked like that. There's a language to hearing God. And I wasn't really in that kind of environment. And so here I am driving down the road and I hear this very bizarre statement. Now I'd read Song of Solomon. I know how God wants to be to the church. And, but it, you know, I guess for me, those things always felt corporate and not individual. And so for God to ask me, like to, he wanted to be more intimate with me. And I'm like, I didn't have any frame for this. And so I'm like, well, this is really weird. And I remember calling a friend and saying, my friend Tina, she was like the most, you know, she was, would have been the most understanding person to this wild encounter I had with God in my car. And I called her, I was like, I just think God's calling me to something bigger than myself. I don't even know what this means. And so I was like, well, I need a mentor. You know, when you don't know what to do, you go get a mentor. Find somebody who knows the word better than you do, which is a good rule of thumb, actually. And so I found this friend to meet with and um, Blair and I were in a dark place. He was working 
Um, I had a, he was working, you know, 14 hour days, flying three times a day. And I had a two year old who was the epitome of the book, The Strong Willed Child. Like basically Dobson wrote that book for my son and for me to read about my son. And then I had a five month old and I'm nursing. So you can imagine how slightly miserable my life was. I mean, I, a lot of people love little kids. I'm not one of those. I wanted to have children, but I wanted to just skip that phase. And I know that sounds kind of terrible, but I'm just being honest. Like, I don't ever need to go back to those stages because when you can't tell me what's wrong with you <laughs> accurately, I really have a hard time guessing. And so here I am just not really loving my life, but when you don't know who you are, when you don't know your identity, and when my identity was wrapped up in a job, and now I'm a stay-at-home mom without like a technical job, and my identity was in that drug rep job and being who I was to all those doctors, my identity was stolen on some level, and I didn't know who I was in Christ. I was the girl who felt like if I didn't do everything right, Jesus didn't love me as much. Like I thought there were levels to his love. And there aren't, just so I can free you all up, there aren't levels to his love. He actually loved me the exact same the day that I was born as he did on my worst day doing the worstest things I've ever done in my life, which is just so hard for us to wrap our heads around because that's not human. <laughs> I mean, you do like, you know, I mean, we all can't, we kind of can't help ourselves. It's very difficult to love like God loves without his power running through our veins. And so here I am thinking that one, I'm a terrible mother because I can't control my children. And then my husband's working three times a day. So I'm like, well, or, you know, flying three times a day and just miserable. And I was like, well, I can, I can just control that. So I'll just blame this all on him. But the reality was, is that, and this is what I say, the wheels were falling off my life in this moment. When I was blaming my husband, there was an underlying shame in operation, and I didn't know. And I think that is such a, a thing that I wish I would have known then, that when you want to blame other people, there is always something underlying um, when you find yourself being the victim, there is something God is asking you to release it to his feet. Well, I wasn't, again, in an environment where I knew how to do that. I didn't see people being very honest. I saw um, a lot of people pretending, frankly. And I, so when I had no framework for how do you be honest? I just think I'm supposed to be good and do good things and, and serve people really well. But I didn't find any delight in um, vulnerability. There was no delight in that. That felt scary. And we ended up in counseling, which helped, but God called my name and asked me about November. And in April of 2008, Blair went to fly and had a um, massive plane crash that day. He and his student pilot were killed on the runway, um, April 23rd of 2008. And so here I was left with a marriage that was better, but a life that was still in shambles, but yet a life that I knew I knew was given to God. I was surrendered to God's plan for my life, even in that moment. But I just, I was so emotionally bankrupt. I just did not know. I didn't know any freedom and expression of my feelings and letting God have those emotions. I just, I couldn't, it's very difficult to 
to explain it, but I read the book um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro about a year after Blair passed away, and I sobbed. I was on a plane, and I remember reading the book, and I just I cried the whole way to Idaho, and the woman sitting next to me, she said, I don't know what you're reading, but it must be amazing. And it was about a pastor who operated in the heavenly realms. I mean, he and Jesus were like so good, you know, like he knew the word, and he loved God, and he wanted to serve him, but yet emotionally, he could not tell you how he felt. And that was me. That was me trying to parent. I wanted my kids just to be okay. I was like, everybody just be okay. Yes, God died, but we are going, we have given our lives to God to be a representative of who Jesus wants us to grieve with. We're going to grieve with hope and we're going to be the best grievers that are out there. And the reality is, is that you can't grieve with hope if you never feel grief. Hello? I mean, what? I, but yet I was just like, let me just, oh, that, all those, all those grief things they tell you, that's for other people. Like I'm a Jesus girl. So I can like skip all those points because I have Jesus, you know? And the reality is, is that Jesus felt deeply. Jesus felt compassion. Jesus felt sorrow. He cried when he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He bawled his face off talking to Mary and Martha. But for some reason, Rachel <laughs> believed that she didn't have to do that because I had Jesus. So I, I just get to skip all those phases. And I think that's very common. I always say I think Christian, Southern Christian women are all twos on the Enneagram because we just think we don't even know who we are. So like we're two because we love to serve. And that's what good Christian women do. We serve. And I'm like, well, really, there's a you underneath all that. And that was what I did. I didn't know that girl. I had never introduced myself to her. And so God was so gracious to pluck me out of Columbus. I ended up in Huntsville, Alabama. And what is so beautiful about the move is I really believe that moves are set ups by God for a different life. Sometimes they feel hard, but I feel like God, every, every time you move, no matter if it's one street away or if it is, you know, five states away, I do feel like God just works his beautiful way that he does with wonder. He works that into the fabric of your move and you end up with a life better than you had before. And that was certainly what happened to me. God just gave me the biggest upgrade ever. I mean, we we moved. And I was really moving because the Air Force will move you for three years and pay for your move. So I was like, well, I'm not, they have take, I, they've taken so much from me. I'm not leaving that on the table. And so I filled up two tractor-trailer trucks. I had a 36,000-pound move. And if you've ever moved... <laughs> You know, like, girl, did you pack up all your neighbor's houses, too? Because I was, I got a storage unit. I was like, I'm going to furnish that house before I even get there. I mean, I had just, I was, I was on it. And so me and my little two tractor trailers and my two babies, we packed it up, moved to Huntsville. And what's crazy is I called a friend before I even moved. And I said, hey, I was like, give me some of the names of good churches. Because I'm a local church girl. I'm like, we're going to plug in. I love the church. And she was like, well, she's like, I don't know. Like, you know, I'm not your same denomination, so whatever. But she was like, there's this girl down the street that loves Jesus. And I was like, well, that's such a, I'd never heard somebody describe somebody like that. Like, she is such a good Christian. She goes to such and such church. I never heard somebody describe somebody that loves Jesus. And I was like, well, that's fascinating. So I put her name in my phone, move on. Eight months later, 
I move, you know, we're already in Huntsville. We go visit this church and I'm just like, oh my gosh, visiting churches with two toddlers is about like gouge my eyeballs out because I can think of, I mean, if you wanted to experience birth control, you should just take two kids to church who are under four and see how it feels and you'll never want a child. But anyway, it was so hard. It was so hard. My poor kids. I remember Davis like screaming in the park a lot. I just want to go back to that church that sang mighty to save. And I was like, oh, bless it all. Okay, fine. Which was the church across the mountain, which I did not want to go to. So we go back to the church that sang mighty to save. We are standing in church and there's this cute girl in front of me and she's got a five-year-old and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to talk to her and try and get a friend out of this. Like, I mean, so not healthy, but I did not have, I didn't have my people yet. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to ask her to go to coffee. We can pray for our children. So she turned around and I was like, hi, I'm Rachel and I'm new. And she was so radiant. Like, I remember just thinking, what do you put on your face? Cause I'm still just like, I didn't realize Jesus could actually make you look younger at this point, And the Holy Spirit can even make you look really younger. And her face was just glowing and she was so kind and she had on cute boots. I was like, we need to be friends, you know? And so, and she tells me her name and I literally about fall out because there's a mil, there are a million people in Huntsville, Alabama. And she was the girl who loved Jesus. Now, if you don't think that I was set up from the day that I was born, this is what blows me away about the person of the Godhead, about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God and how he sets our lives up. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting here looking at this quilt and I mean, it is truly a tapestry. It is like he was weaving that from the day I was born for me to call that girl and she to say there's a girl that loves Jesus. And so I meet Leah. And she immediately, you know, I knew she was going to be my person, but Leah was free and I'd never met. And, you know, when you meet a free person, you'll know it because they really don't care what you think about them. I'd never met a person, especially in the South, who did not care what I thought about her. And I, at this point, you have to know, like my children came home from the hospital in a Feltman Brothers um, bubble. I had, my daughter had never left the house without something smocked. And I paid a lady a dollar a piece to iron like midget clothes. And all their clothes were ironed, smocked. Davis never left the house without a monogram or his name plastered on his shirt for every child theft to come take him, I guess. I don't even know. I mean, it's like the craziest thing looking back. And here Leah is. I mean, we went on a trip not too far long after this. And she let her three-year-old, like, pack his own bag. And I thought I was going to fall out just dead in the floor. I was like... A three-year-old packing a bag. I mean, I, I have no frame for this. You have to know. And so Leah is just free, and she's so fun and so delightful, and she invites me to this Bible study. And it, I mean, it blows the doors off my life. At this point, I had done every Beth Moore Bible study. As soon as she produced one, I had done it before it hardly even got off the shelf. And she invited me to this Bible study, and I really thought they were making this stuff up. I mean, it was stuff I'd never heard about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life. And I was like, what? How have I read Genesis my whole life and missed that whole thing and grace and the law? And I was like, what are y'all talking about? Like the thread of the gospel and the good news was coming alive to me because I had just read the Bible as a Bible. I mean, I had no idea that it was like that there was a thread and that there was just this like that Jesus was actually present in the garden. I don't know. Anyway, to me, it was just blowing the doors off my life. And so here I am um, experiencing this 
Bible study, but yet what I was experiencing was a lot of freedom in these people. And at this point in my life, um, I am... I've never been to a counselor. It's 11 years after my first husband passed away. And Davis, my son, is having just repetitive, not nightmares, but just deep, deep grief at this point. And so he's crying every night. And, you know, this is simultaneously while I'm doing this Bible study. And I've got, you know, I've got community. But I'm like, I don't know what is wrong with my child because we've never experienced this before. And, you know, moves are also opportunities for God to, you know, help you unload things because your, you know, your emotions sometimes they're going to come out. And my poor son is experiencing this deep grief. Well, here's a mom who's emotionally bankrupt and not knowing how to handle it. And he's crying every night. And I'm meeting with the mentor and I um, end up starting counseling myself. But my mentor, she said, Rachel, she said, I really believe that Davis has a spirit of grief attached. You know, something has come in and there has been a crack, his dad's death. And this, you know, I think a lot of things that we deal with as believers, I think one, we don't know anything about spiritual warfare. And two, it feels woo-woo, honestly, and kind of like scary. And who wants to talk about the devil? I mean, that sounds terrible. And especially not the demonic. And so I have no frame for this. And she said, you know, Rachel, you need to take authority over your son's life and anything that might be in your home attacking him. And so I was like, well, how do you do that? I mean, I have no idea what she's even talking about. And she said, well, you just pray. And she say, in the name of Jesus. She was like, it's so simple, Rachel. You just say the name. And I was like, okay, well, I can do that. And she said, when he goes to bed... She was like, annoy his door with oil. And I, you know, of course, here I am still at this point in my life. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, that is crazy. But I did it out of faith because I was miserable. I mean, this had been almost a month at this point. And she said, you just need to take authority. And she said, if there's anything in this house, it has to go in the name of Jesus. If there's anything in his room, it has to go in the name of Jesus. And to say, um, you know, I, I pretty much became a believer in the power of my authority that night. Davis sat up in bed twice and vomited twice. And he's never had the stomach bug. He's never had the stomach bug since. He had never had it before. My, We're just, I hate to say we're not vomiters, but we're just not. <laughs> and it terrified me because I was like, well, it was the this holy terror. It was like, one, it's real. I mean, really. I mean, it was like, One, it's real, like there can be things that plague us that we don't have to deal with because God has, he said, he did say, I'm going to go away and the Holy Spirit's going to come and you are going to have the same authority and power that I had on earth. And actually, oh, by the way, you're going to do greater things. And I think that's what for me as a believer that I never really believed. One, I never heard any teaching on that. And then the second thing was I never really believed it was for me. I thought it was for the people who went to seminary. But at the end of the day, if we... I mean, the disciples were just a bunch of riffraffs, and they changed the world. So why wouldn't me and my little riffraff state be able to do the same thing? And so that night, I will say everything changed. Like, I really believed that, one, I was powerful. And I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, when you've just believed that the the real Jesus people, the ones who worked at the church, and somehow it was magic to go into that building, that they were the powerful people— And uh, especially spiritually, you know, that they are the ones that had to anoint, you know, you with oil. They're the ones who, and I'm like, no, like God's anointed me to heal the sick and to bind up the broken and to set captives free. And 
that was the other thing. So on on top of my spiritual authority, I really saw freedom in my friend. And um, she did not have a secret. And at this point in my life, I had a pretty massive secret. I was, you know, abused by a distant family member when I was 10 years old and had kept that to myself, just stuffed it. I, it feels like it was in the back part of my cerebellum, which I really believe there. Uh, people always say when you try and hide a secret, they always kind of point to their head like it was so far deep in my brain. And I'm like, oh, it was, but it, it will not stay there. Like it will have to come out eventually. And for me, that came out during that Bible study. And I will never forget sitting in our gym parking lot and telling Leah what had happened to me. And when I was 10 years old, and I truly felt like there were chains around my neck, there were hands around, you know, uh, cuffs around my hands, everything about me in the spiritual felt chained, because I had this secret that I never told anyone. I buried two husbands who did not know what had really happened to me, which really, uh, which really prevented me from ever knowing intimacy. You cannot know intimacy the way that God has designed you to be in marriage, you cannot know intimacy with secrets. And and this is so my passion because I want I want not one more woman, anybody really, to ever live their married life with secrets because your husband will never fully know you. And that's what so breaks my heart for my husbands is that I buried both of them and I'm going to introduce myself to them in heaven and go, I'm so different now. Hi, I'm, I love you so much more because I really, I never fully gave myself to them. And I know that sounds crazy maybe to some of you, but I will say secrets kill. And um, the enemy has come to steal your life. He's come to steal your intimacy in marriage. He's come to destroy your marriage, let's be honest. And I think, you know, one of the greatest things that has ever happened to me um, was the implosion of my life. And that was letting go of that secret. And, you know, I always say the deaths led, um, you know, to led me to that point. But that's what changed me from the inside out was letting... Um, the chains fall, letting the secret out and going. And, and now I get to minister to women who, I mean, there's, you know, five or six every time. I mean, even on our, our, we just had our widow's retreat for my ministry. And there were, because of me sharing in a room of 20, there were two who came up and, and had a family member that had abused them. And they'd never told anyone. They buried their husbands without them even knowing. And I just think if I can prevent one, one from that happening, you know, even listening to this pod podcast, if you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to call somebody, you DM me tonight. <laughs> and I mean it because I really don't want another woman. And God was so gracious. I would have never been able to marry again if that hadn't have happened. And, and I think for me too, Leah introduced me to the Holy Spirit. I grew up with Jesus and God and the Holy Bible and it felt really big and heavy. And, you know, it was those, God only spoke in those two inches and I never heard his voice. And Leah was like, you know, I just asked for more. It wasn't anything crazy. I just said, God, if there's more to you and Holy Spirit, if there's more to you, I want it. And God allowed me to experience that. And I say all my selves united in that moment. And um, my high school self and my college self, my Sunday school self, they all became one person who was not afraid to talk about the power of Jesus Christ. And I really believe that the day that my ministry began was the day that I asked for more from the Holy Spirit. And um, it was a simple ask. It was so like, you know, it wasn't, it, there was no fanfare to it. It was just, 
it was really a matter of surrender and saying, if there's more, I want it. And, um, and there's always more. That's the reality. I mean, the word says continually be being filled. And I think he means it. And I was able to marry again. And I married a man who had already experienced all those things and was healed and um, had just never met, found the one that his heart loved. And he was 45 and never been married and a pastor at a very large church in Atlanta. And, you know, we have been married now seven years and I will say um, those, uh, you know, Rod is the only man that's ever fully known me. And that has been the greatest gift. And he experienced depression and anxiety after we got married because me and two kids all on the same day is just that is just a hot mess waiting to happen. And bless his little heart. We should have like, I don't know, we should have taken the blue pill, I guess, before he got married because... <laughs> Gosh, I mean, it was a lot. And, but he is, you know, now off medication and actually has a ministry himself to men who are experiencing anxiety and depression. And, and I will say that has led us even to a deeper level of intimacy. I mean, for those of you listening who have a husband, it feels hopeless, but I, I can assure you that it is not. And what I would say too is that, um, you know, the trial that you are going through is a setup. Um, by God, because he, he does make the promise, I will work all things for good. And that is certainly the truth in my life. And I cannot think, um, I can't ever, I can't ever look back and say, I wish that wouldn't have happened. Um, because the truth is that if any of it hadn't have happened, I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't have the ministry that I have. I wouldn't have the children that I have. I tell them every day, you know, your pain is your superpower. And, um, you know, for me, I'd lost a cat, you know, growing up. So I just had no frame for pain and didn't deal with it well. And my kids know pain and they know loss. And yet it makes them, it makes me really appreciate heaven. It makes me appreciate the world. And I think it also, um, you know, it makes me know how we truly are hopeless without Jesus. And there is no hope outside the person of Jesus Christ. There is none. There's none. I mean, you can hope in so many things, but ultimately it comes back to the finished work on the cross. And he said it was finished, but we live as if it weren't. <laughs> and um, your anxiety is finished. Your depression is finished. Your worry can actually be finished. I mean, I can honestly say, like, I just... You know, when the worst things happen to you, it's kind of like, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> let's just let's just go tell people about God because I don't I, I have nothing left to lose. And I think that for me is like, you know, I don't I don't even you know, my reputation is is his. It's not mine anymore. And so, you know, that makes ministry actually pretty easy when it's not about you. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I mean, my best the best years of my life have been. I would say the last five because, you know, the, the anxiety and the depression led us to just a higher level of understanding and thinking and knowing and, um, and God's never been more real. And I, I think for me too, is just experiencing, you know, during that season of, of loss and just experiencing Rod's anxiety and just me just really believing like I had made a massive mistake marrying him and he's going to be sick forever and I've ruined my children's future. I mean, the lies that the enemy told me because of his depression, it was it was off the charts. But I got invited to go to this um, cottage in Alpharetta where they 
pray for people. And I, at this point, I really didn't know much about um, the prophetic or, you know, people praying for people. I mean, it was like, oh, you're sick. Okay, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll write you on my, in my little journal, which was awesome. And that's, those are, that's great too. But I've never experienced someone actually praying for me that didn't know me. And this woman prayed for me like nothing I'd ever experienced. And she said to me in front of a room of, you know, 15 people that I didn't know, she said, your life has it been really hard? And, you know, at this point, I'm married to a depressed man and I've buried two husbands. I was like, well, you could say that. I mean, I guess. And um, she was like, well, I see you like a crocus. Like you're coming up out of the winter's snow. And, you know, it's hard for that crocus to break through. But she said, but I also see you declaring the goodness of God to the nations. And that was a dream, you know, I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to preach and teach and tell my story and but I I mean you can't even think that big I don't know like thinking big is something I think most believers just don't do and so when she said that I mean I truly started dry heave crying I was like how do you know that I mean I was it was it was just a moment that I knew it was true I knew she'd seen it and I will be forever grateful that I went that day because I didn't want to go. And, um, and I, you know, now I, after that moment, after that experience in that little cottage in Alpharetta, I was like, I don't know what that was, but I'm going to do that for people. And so I really went on a journey to learn how to pray for people, to learn how to hear God myself, um, to learn what, how he speaks to me, which is I see pictures, you know, just like I can see the Wizard of Oz. I can see my bedroom right now, even in my mind's eye. And that's how God and I communicate. He shows me pictures and a lot of times while I'm in the shower. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, so that's kind of where we are today. And um, yeah, God just allowed me to start a ministry that is all about story and power of story. Robin knows well. And I'm just, yeah, I'm forever grateful. I actually started Be Still right after Linda prayed for me in that cottage. I had enough I had enough foresight that I knew that I could give something away um, through women's stories. What breaks my heart is women being silent because they have shame. And that's one question that Andy, he was like, you can find your purpose when you know what breaks your heart. And a woman like me at 35 who had a secret and lived in shame is what broke my heart. And I was like, I don't want one woman to ever finish her life that way and when I get to pray for a 70 year old who's confessing something that happened to her when she was 15 or she got raped or I mean there is literally nothing in me I mean I could die in that moment and know my life had tremendous meaning Rachel's story is one of those that I think we could sit for three <laughs> hours and talk about every detail because all of it is profound. I have pages and pages of notes. But one thing that really stuck out to me when she shared was when she said she didn't know how to hear God, she only heard him through Beth Moore. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that she thought only famous people heard God. And I think that is such an easy lie that we can believe that we don't hear God. You know, that we assume that it's our imagination or that we're daydreaming or that only other people or pastors or people that are important can hear God. And it's just, 
It's well, I, yeah, right. And I think sometimes too, we think that it's going to be an audible voice mm-hmm. that we're going to hear, <laughs> and really, God speaks through His Word so much and other people. And so I, I don't know. I guess it's a good reminder for me too that. And I loved also how she talked about you know following Beth Moore around. You know, <laughs> I, I think I used to think oh, Beth Moore can speak to God, but I can't. So I'll just listen to Beth Moore, <laughs> right? And right. then I'll hear. Right. Whereas God wants me to be in the same position that Beth Moore is in. You know, yeah. to be able to speak yeah. directly to me as well. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. We we all loved Beth Moore and her hair and her and her outfits and she she was my Holy Spirit for a while. Not gonna lie, but um, yeah, I just appreciated her realness and and when she was talking about meeting her friend and she had never met someone who was free and just mm. having that freedom in Christ. Um, I I was doubled over laughing of of just the the memories of smocking and monogramming and everything that we do. Um, Good as Southern women. women. But you know, another lie is that, um, you know, just where our identity is. And, and also when she said that I felt like if I never made another casserole, he would still love me. I mean, y'all, we get when so wrapped up in yes. the busy, yeah. but just knowing God. And you know what? When you grow up in church and you know God and you know about God and you know the Bible, but you don't experience God. And that really spoke to me when she said that, that she had really experienced God mm-hmm. through this. And that that's yeah. freedom. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. it. That's right, Lindy. You know, another thing that she said, and this was at the very beginning um, before she even began sharing her story, which, by the way, it's amazing that she's walked that path and is still so joyful. That gives me hope and encouragement that you can go through the pain of what she went through and still be full of joy. You know, she did say at the very beginning, every time you tell your story, you're testifying against the enemy. And when she said that at the very beginning, I thought that is just so big right now, especially with um, with what we're launching with just mm-hmm. discover your yeah. story, our Bible study. That was what our goal was, was for women to understand that you have a story only you can tell. We say yeah. that over and over again. We say your story matters because it does. And um, and I just hope that that somebody hears that out there, mm-hmm. that, you know, your story matters. And when you tell it to somebody else, you are testifying directly against the enemy. And let me tell you something. The enemy does not want you <laughs> testifying against him. So he's going to uh-huh. do everything to keep you from doing that. Um, but I do hope that, you know, if, if you're interested in a Bible study, discover your story. will help you find out what that storyline is that God wants you to share. Yeah, because listening to other women's stories, you know what freedom it brings you because you, we say this all the time, but you learn you're not alone. You know, you're able to reach out to other people that may have seemed unattainable before or like they had it all together. And one little thing in their story makes you realize you're not alone. So the same power comes to you when you learn your own story and where God has shown up for you in your life and how he's walked you through things. Other people need to hear that. For sure. And you know, she said at the end that thinking big and dreaming big is something that most believers don't do. And I thought mm-hmm. to myself, you know, how often do I put God in a box? <laughs> and I don't realize how much he wants to do through us as believers filled with his Holy Spirit, that we can think big and we are empowered. And hey, you're talking about the enemy. The enemy is alive and well. Yeah. <laughs> so if we can testify against the enemy, then certainly that is what we're called to do. And we can do it through his power. Well, we hope y'all enjoyed Rachel's story today as much as we did. Clearly, there's a million more areas we could discuss, but we'll wrap it up here. Um, so thanks for listening. And you can find us on all the social medias at Storytellers Lab Podcast. You can go to our website at storytellerslab.org, which is also where you can order Discover Your Story. And we can't wait to be with you next week with another new story. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs>